0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We are in week three of Empires Volume 3. This is part three in a study through the Book of Romans. In this message, we take a look at God's future plan for Israel. Enjoy the message. Hey, today we're going to continue our series in Empires Volume 3. It's our study in the Book of Romans. We're going to be in Chapter 11, and if you want to turn there in your Bibles or your app, uh, our Kenosha City Church app. We have a TV app now. We have an app uh, for, to, you know, it's like your digital bulletin. We have all these apps. It's awesome. You should always be in the know here. Um, and as we turn to chapter 11, you're going to notice that today we're going to talk about what is the plan, what is the plan for the nation of Israel. Now you're thinking like, okay, how is this relevant for me today? Well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever felt alone? Is there ever a moment in your life where you just felt Lonely, or you felt like you're on a one man island. Uh, Maybe you moved to Kenosha. Now, I know there's lifelongers. By the way, can I just see your hands? If you're lifelong Kenosha, raise your hand. I'm just interested here. All right. Wow. So let's say you've moved in in the last uh, five years. Moved in the last five years. All right. Last 10 years. All right. Okay, you, the rest of you lifelong, all right? So anyway, the thing is, when you move to Kenosha, or if you're lifelong, third generation, and you move to another neighborhood, or you move to your first house, uh, you, you, you may have felt a bit lonely. You may have felt like, okay, I don't know anybody around here. And for the extrovert, you know, like, you're excited about that. For the introvert, you're just, you're just like, okay, I, I, okay, no more cookies, no more pies. Uh, thank you for welcoming the neighborhood, right? No matter where you're at, though, extrovert, introvert, new situations make you feel alone. And it's not something we necessarily long for. Uh, it, it, maybe you're a student right now, or you can remember when you're a student and you went to your first day of classes. Now I, I have these reoccurring dreams of going back to high school. Am I the only one here, or, or do people do you do that as well? You have these reoccurring dreams. Some of you you can't remember your locker combination. Uh, some of you you, can, uh, you you this is one I get sometimes is you, you realize you missed science class in seventh grade and you actually didn't graduate, then you didn't graduate college, and and you're and you're gonna lose your job, right? Like have you ever had that thought? Have you had that dream? You you missed a class. I'm seeing some heads nod yes. All right. Well here is one. Uh, The dream that I can't get rid of, the recurring dream, is lunchroom. All right, like I'm in the lunchroom for the first day. I'm like, okay, can I sit here? Can I not sit here? Listen, school can bring out loneliness. You didn't want to be the last one to be picked on the PE team. But maybe you're feeling lonely this morning because it's something more significant. Maybe something's happened in life. Maybe you've lost somebody or something in your life. And, And maybe it seems like life has continued to move on but you have it, and that really can make you feel extremely, extremely lonely, or maybe after the pandemic, you've realized the, the depth or lack of friendships. Uh, this is a big one. One study says that over, boy, this is depressing, over half of your friends actually aren't your friends. Like, we've reduced the level of what friends means, like, because of, oh, I friended them on Facebook, or, or I said hi to them in the, in, in the grocery store. But the reality is half your friends aren't really your friends. They're just transactional relationships. And even in our marriages, uh, for maybe you find that your spouse it's more transactional than it is unconditional. And so uh, if your friend is willing to talk about you behind your back, know that they're, they're not your friend to your face. Ronald Sharp, a professor of English at Vassar College, he said this, treating friends like investments or commodities is an anathema to the whole idea of Friendship. I don't know who that professor is, uh, but they did the study. But let me just tell you what Jesus has to say about that. Jesus says, this is my command, love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this is to lay down his life for his friends. So some of us had Phenos, that is friends in name only. Uh, Listen, you don't need friends in name only. You need friends that are with you through the thick and the thin. And because we have reduced what it means to be a friend, many, many people have thousands of friends online, but they feel very, very alone. But here's the most significant area where you can feel alone, and the most significant area where you can feel alone is your faith, is your relationship with Jesus. I remember I felt, this is where I felt most alone in my entire life, uh, even to this day. It was my freshman year of college. All of my youth group friends had gone off to college, but I was commuting to college. I was gonna save money. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't wanna spend the extra 10 grand, you know, getting a roommate. So I'm just gonna commute from home and my roommates are gonna be my parents, all right? That sounds real fun. Well, I went to college, I went to commute, and a lot, of, uh, my, a lot of my peers that went to youth group, they were phenos with the Lord, you know, friends in name only. Like, they, they professed Jesus, but on the weekends, they're like, who's Jesus? Throw me a six-pack, right? Like, they, they denied Jesus, especially with their actions, uh, and when they graduated from youth group, they graduated from church. By the way, that's why we invest so heavily in City Kids. That's why we invest so heavily in Revolution Youth with our teenagers. Because we want you to know that it's not tomorrow it's their church. Their church is right now, right here. And they're not going to graduate. It's by, if, if we have anything to do with it, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to see people own church now so they walk with Jesus an entire lifetime. Amen? Well, because I was a commuter, I was at home on a Friday night with my roommates, my parents, (laughs) and I felt alone in my faith, and I remember just being down, and my parents noticed it. So on the dinner table at a 10 o'clock on a Friday night, my parents were like, what's wrong, Andy? (laughs) And I felt like a real winner here, and I said, Mom, Dad, I feel like I'm alone in being a follower of Jesus Christ. I explained all what was happening amongst my peers I felt alone and I began to pray that night. I said, God, I just pray I can find one person that's willing to pray with me, to pray about what's on my heart now, about my friends, but also just that people can know Christ. And I kid you not, that night on AOL Instant Messenger, oh yeah, that dates me a little bit, AIM, all right? I get a random te- I get a random IM, it wasn't even text, random IM from a guy named Alex Coleman. If you're watching, thank you Alex for listening to the Lord. He, the Lord placed my name on his heart and saying, "Hey, how would you like to pray tomorrow?" And we started to pray that next day, and for that next day for an entire year, what we saw was, is every single person in the youth group got back with Christ. The people that never placed their faith in Christ in the youth group days gave their life to Christ, and there was a bona fide mini revival in my hometown in Iowa, of which I found my best friend who came to Christ during that time too, Ben Sagobert, who's a friend of Kenosha City Church. You see, it was in the moment of loneliness I realized the call of God. Did you know that? When you feel most alone, obviously you can hear the voice of the Lord the loudest if you listen, if you don't let other things drown out the voice of God. And it's when I heard the call into ministry, a call that grows stronger and stronger even to this day. But have you ever felt this way in your faith? Have you ever felt alone in your faith? And you know what? It's, it's okay if you have, because we all have, and including the Apostle Paul, who penned over half of the New Testament. In fact, let's take a look at Romans chapter 11, verse one. I ask then, has God rejected people? Absolutely not. Has God rejected his people, excuse me? Absolutely not. So he's talking about the nation of Israel. For I to am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, before Paul was a follower of Christ, Paul was nothing short of a Hebrew celebrity. Everybody knew who he was. Uh, He went by Saul, and he was the chief persecutor of Christians. In fact, the Bible says he went house to house looking for people of the way, people that were of Jesus Christ. And it even alludes that he even murdered some because it was seen as a badge of honor to murder those that were followers of Jesus. Not only was he a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a Hebrew by birth. He was a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. This meant a lot uh, in his era, if you walked around in the first century and you are a Hebrew of the tribe, of uh, from Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, and, and whether it be Benjamin or Judah, those two tribes were the tribes. Uh, you, that was your, you know, the people that have the last names in town, the people that have businesses, the people that are well-known, he would be well-known, he had the last name. But all the status changed when he placed his faith and trust in Jesus. And he was commissioned, after he placed his faith and trust in Jesus, to reach the entire world. But as he was commissioned, his lot in life twisted. In a twist of fate, he was no longer hunting Christians. He was now the hunted. Paul would go in and out of jail for sharing Christ. His life threatened and eventually put to death. Uh, Paul went uh, and felt alone in many of these times. We see this in his letters Paul felt like he was by himself. Why? Because his kinsmen, the Israelites, his fellow family had rejected Jesus, but Paul would often feel alone even from his fellow churchgoers. In his last letter, just before his death, this is how Paul felt. This is from the book of 2 Timothy. This is the second letter to Timothy it is the last letter that we have from Paul before he's put to death. 2 Timothy 4, 9, let me read it to you. It says this, make every effort, he's talking to fellow believers here, make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. And I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He's feeling alone. In fact, we go on to verse 16. He says, And at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. You see, we see here specifically from Paul's last letter, he felt alone. He felt alone right up to his death. But listen, even Paul's gonna admit in our text this morning, he's not alone. This was his perception. His perception that he was alone, but he knew deep in his heart that his perception was not God's reality. And that's our main idea this morning as we go through Romans chapter 11, is your perception is not always God's reality. That's really important for you to understand. Your perception is not always God's reality. It was Paul's perception. He was alone because of Israel's rejection. It was Paul's perception that God was rejecting even the promise of God because the promise was for Israel. But he knew, and is gonna lay out very clearly, that is not God's reality. Perception. It is coming to conclusions, whether true or false, which is arrived by more often emotional than empirical data. We often hear the phrase perception is reality. Uh, This phrase is often used to justify a perception that may be objectively unjustifiable but is often used as a phrase to push someone into accepting somebody else's preferred so-called reality. Using one's perception at the cost of reality brings about relativistic thinking, and that's something that dominates our culture today. If we live by our feelings instead of fact, our feelings can change day to day, and that's relativistic thinking, it's postmodern thinking, it's not thinking that uh, the Lord wants us to do, and that is to live by his truth. So from Paul's perception, he was alone, and maybe you've perceived you feel alone at times or even right now, but if you're in Christ, you're not. You're not alone. Isn't that amazing? You're not alone. You just may feel alone. God has not rejected Israel. That was the perception that he has because God has a great plan. The perception is not always God's reality. So this is what we're gonna talk about this morning is as we look at the perception not always being God's reality, we're gonna look at four different realities that God has. His realities. The first reality, as we've mentioned this morning already, is you are not alone in your faith. You are not alone in your faith. Let's go back to Romans chapter 11. And again, Paul is writing the book of Romans to address the questions, uh, many different questions, but specifically here, did God reject Israel? Romans 11, 1. I asked then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. By the way, that word, absolutely not, we miss it in the English, but is the strongest in the original language. It means no way, no way, Jose, not a chance. No, 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 no. And let's add an extra no. Has God rejected Israel? No, absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's point is very clear here. Has God rejected Israel? No, because he is an Israelite. He is from the nation of Israel. And now God has changed his heart to be a follower of Christ, uh, to share the gospel to the whole world. But that didn't stop Paul from feeling alone from time to time in his life. So know this. When you feel alone, it's a perception. You are not alone. There are, all, there are others who follow Jesus. You need to understand that. In your life right now, it could be in your office, it could be your school, it could be your family. I want you to know there are others that follow Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we get into community to encourage one another so that we don't feel alone. Because Israel's is God's chosen nation, the promise also holds for today. When God made a promise to Israel, he was not going to revoke it now there are some promises you see when you read throughout scripture it says hey if you do this then this will happen that's called a conditional promise this promise to the nation of israel is unconditional it's just like the promise that when you receive jesus christ as your savior that's not a conditional promise of well if you're good enough then 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 you know you're good No, it's an unconditional promise that if you place your faith and trust in him alone, you will be found not guilty before him alone. And so there are conditional promises that are dependent upon Israel's obedience, but not so with the promise that's given to them or given to you. That's called an unconditional promise. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse two. I'll read it to you. uh, When God promised Abraham the nation of Israel, he said this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So we see here an unconditional promise for the nation of Israel, but within that unconditional promise, we also see a conditional promise. And that conditional promise is this. Hey, those who treat you well, guess what? It's gonna go well with them. Those who curse you, they will be cursed. So God gave this promise to Abraham without any condition of merit or good works. It's because God chose to use Israel. Why? I don't know, but he chose Israel. Could God have chosen Egypt? Sure. Could God have chosen a different, different nation? Sure. But he chose the nation of Israel and his good wisdom and his good promise. So if God were to go back on the promise, if, if Paul were to say, has God given up on Israel? Yes, that would have major, major ramifications. It meant that God goes back on his promises. That has major ramifications for you and I. If God went back on his unconditional promise to Israel, then how can we not fear that he would do the same to us even in our own salvation? But God is a keeper of promises. If he says something in the word of God, then we can know that we can trust that something, that we can stand on that something. Amen, church? And So you may feel alone at your school, work, or even your family, but if you choose the Lord Jesus Christ, Know this, you're a son and daughter of the king. You are never alone, ever, ever. But often, we can still feel alone, and when we bask in our aloneness and our loneliness, we can begin to challenge and even forget the promises of God. Paul gives a big example here in Romans 11 of one who felt alone and began to doubt the promises of God. Romans 11, verse two. God has not rejected his people with whom he foreknew. Or don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. He's bringing up the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament. One that we often share the mountaintop experience, but he had some low lows. Some low lows that we will see here. Elijah was the Old Testament prophet who confronted the evil King Ahab, Abel, Ahab according to scripture did what was exceedingly evil more than anybody else did up to that time in the nation of Israel and his wife was a real doozy Jezebel all right <laughs> that that word by the way is like come become so politically correct uh, incorrect today you can't use it you know it's like oh that's a pejorative listen there was a real Jezebel and oh yeah she was a doozy all right and so was Ahab And Ahab, he was a doozy because he led the nation of Israel, of which he was supposed to lead them to the Lord. He led them to be more like the surrounding culture, the Canaanite culture. And they adopted the worship of Baal over the worship of the one true God. Who is Baal? Baal is a false Canaanite God who many believed was in charge of bringing rain and in charge of bringing fertility amongst the people. And so what do you think God wants to do? If Israel's supposed to be a witness to the one true God, and yet now they are witnessing about the power of Baal, what do you think God's gonna do? He's gonna shut the clouds up. And that's exactly what he did. It quit raining. And as he shut the clouds up, he rose up Elijah. And he says, Elijah, you are gonna be my prophet to speak against the evils of the nation of Israel. And so the Lord rose the prophet Elijah up to confront Ahab. And Ahab said, you know what? We're gonna have a WrestleMania of prophets, all right? It's gonna be a showdown on the mountain, all right? It's gonna be the main event. You bring up your 450 prophets of Baal, and I'll go up there and call on the God most high. You see, he realized who he was. He realized what, what he was called to do and who rose him up for that moment. And he realized, I can do what exceedingly looks like it's impossible. So he goes up to the mountaintop, 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah at the prophet WrestleMania. And on top there, they began to cry out to the Lord. You see, they were going to cry out. They had these different sacrifices. And the idea was this. You cry out, and if God brings down a sacri- burns up the sacrifice, then Israel will know who the one true God is. So all of Israel gathered together to watch this showdown. They went up to the mountain with all of Israel watching. And for hours, the prophets of Baal cried out to God. They won the coin toss, they started first. And for hours upon hours, they cried out to God, their God, Baal, and nothing. First Kings, chapter 18, verse 27, the words will be on the screen. At noon, okay, they went all the way up to noon. It's like lunch break. All right, Elijah's getting hungry, all right? At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or he's busy, or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's awakened. Some of your translations even say, maybe he's relieving himself. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. You see what they did was okay, we'll shout louder, we'll show that we are, we'll, we'll, we'll worship our, 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 our Baal even greater and for them it was, it, was, it was cutting their skin, it was mutilating the flesh, okay? Uh, that's why we see it even in pagan religions today they said, we, 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 will, we will grit our teeth and we'll make sure that Baal sees us by our works. But midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. They went an entire day shouting and screaming to their false god, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. first, first Kings eighteen thirty six. So at the time of sacrifice the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. I love that. In time for evening sacrifice, God knew when he was gonna be praised. And right on time, we see here at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you Lord our God, and that you're turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Yeah, earlier on, I didn't read it, but he poured a bunch of water on it, saying, hey, you know what? We're going to make this even more fantastic. I'm going to put a bunch of water. You know, like when you put a water in a burn pit, that's a bad thing, right? If you try to light your burn pit and you had it open last night and you had all that rain, it's not going to light. Well, he's like, our God is so amazing. Put all the water on it, right? Put the whole city's water on this. He's going to lick it up and he did, and then Elijah's wood, stones, and soil were licked up the water in the trench. Then Elijah commanded them: seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down the Cushan Valley, and they slaughtered there. Woo! Talk about an escalation, right? 450 prophets of Baal, verse 1. He may have felt alone in that moment. It looked like he was alone in that moment. And in a fight, and that royal rumble, it looked absolutely pitiful. But when you are on the Lord's side, following his word, when you are following the Lord in his word, when he is your Lord and master, and he goes before you, I want you to know, you may feel like you're the only the one. The one, but I want you to know, is when you're the one with the Lord, you win, because his word, his promises are true. Don't look at the world and say, oh man, there's billions and billions of people that don't know Jesus, and there's billions and billions of people that might even be hostile towards Jesus. God knows that, and he has said, you're an ambassador. He's gonna give you his spirit so that you can do what you're incapable of doing to see miracles in people's lives that seem impossible to change. That's what this demonstrates. Elijah knew he was not alone because he had God. But amazingly, that mountaintop experience only lasted for a bit of a moment. Because what we will see here, his circumstances changed and he began to forget about what God had just done. 1 Kings 19:1. Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid, and he immediately ran for his life. Man, he didn't even get time to celebrate before he's, he's running. Why? Why is he running? Because Satan wants to isolate you and make you feel alone so that you forget the promises and forget what God has done previously. When you forget the promises of God, we will only then listen to the loud lies of the enemy. And when we allow ourselves to listen to the loud lies of the enemy, they will live rent-free in your mind. And dare I say to you, when you let the loud lies of the enemy live rent-free in your mind, you can forget about every awesome thing God has ever done in your life. And so Elijah, after defeating the 450 prophets of Baal, He thought he was all alone. He thought that God had rejected Israel. And so we pick up back at Romans chapter 11, verse 3. This is what Paul has to say about it. He says, Lord, he recounts this, Lord, quoting Elijah, you have killed your prophets, you have torn down your altars, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? Paul asks, I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. You see, Elijah thought he was alone. He thought he was alone in the moment when the enemy's loud cries were living rent free in his mind. God demonstrated he wasn't alone even when he was the only one on the mountain. But when he's in the valley floor, God whispered, he's like, what are you talking about? Why are you running? There are 7,000 other people you don't know about. And oh, this is where it gets awesome for us, church. You may feel alone in who you are in Jesus Christ this morning, but I want you to know there are many, many others that are followers of Jesus Christ. And this isn't to be a holy huddle to hunker down, but this is so that we must get together. We must worship together. We must encourage each other so that we don't forget that you are not to run a life in timidity and fear, but that you are given a life that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are adopted in the family of God. You are given the Holy Spirit to be filled in the Holy Spirit every single day to live in the boldness of God, not to live by your will, but by his will. And when we live by his will, we see the life systematically begin to change in the ways of Jesus. We begin to see lives that seem like there's no way they will change. We see situations, and no way they can turn around. We realize they can turn around. And we realize that when we live in a life in circumstances that are hard, that won't turn around, if you're in Christ, you have hope for eternity. That's what he reminds you of through this. There are 7,000, Elijah, and listen, there are a lot more than 7,000 today that have not bowed to Baal So Romans chapter 11 verse 5, in the same way then, there's also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now if by grace, then it's not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. What Paul is doing is he's drawing this right back to Israel. He feels alone as an Israelite. And people are asking him, has God rejected Israel? He's like, no, there are people scattered all throughout this known world that have given their life to Jesus But it's because Paul is saying he's kept his promise. He's keeping his promises now, and he will bring all these promises together when he comes back. There is a remnant that's chosen to be kept by grace, not because they deserved it. God chose Israel simply by his choice. Grace is undeserved favor. It's never by works. God keeps his promise, and he's raising people up today to be that remnant. Now, as I've talked about the last few weeks, his promise, his choice, we have a responsibility. It seems contradictory, but it's not, because God's awesome, and we have a responsibility to receive what he's given us. That's the conditional part, right? He's unconditionally giving you the opportunity to follow him and, and, to be, and to be made right with him. But the condition is this. You have to have faith to receive the grace. by faith alone. Grace alone. When we doubt the word of God, you'll feel alone. Again, here's the deal. I think what we really struggle with, sometimes we think that we can judge reality or truth by mere majority. We live in a culture where we vote on a lot of things, and so majority rules, right? Uh, and so uh, here's the deal. Faith is not a popularity contest. If you want to grow in your faith simply when everybody else is doing it, you're not going to grow in faith. You're actually going to shrink in faith. Romans chapter 11, verse 8. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for. But the elected find it. The rest were hardened. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, "Let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and retribution to them. That their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. The majority of Israel, the majority of Israel rejected Jesus. Yet a large remnant in the end times, as we talked about in our previous series on Revelation, uh, a large remnant of Israel will place their faith and trust in Jesus. A large remnant will show that God is not done with Israel yet. There's been but a pause. The truthness of God, therefore, is not by a majority vote. If you're looking at those today, whether it be in secular culture, whether it be in Israel culture, you're not gonna see a majority of people following Jesus Many in Israel thought their last name, their lineage, their popularity, their spirituality were the standard by which they can judge others. Wrong. They were hardened. They were hardened through their own rebellion and God gave them a spirit of stupor and that became their table and their table was a trap. And when we feel alone, listen, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna tend to want to go to the table that's a trap. We're gonna wanna tend to go to the majority. We're gonna, when we feel alone, we wanna feel like we're encircled by people and this is where the enemy wants to get you. He wants to put you at a table of falsehood. What Paul is saying is if you have the perception of being alone, you're not. That's why it's so important to walk together in truth in spirit and grace in the mission. But when we allow perception not God's truth to rule us, we will not find, as we see here in verse seven, what we're looking for and we'll be hardened and a pitfall and retribution will be towards us. When we look elsewhere from the truth of God, we will do it our own way way your perception is not always god's reality you are not alone in your faith amen church you're not alone in your faith encourage one another as long as today is called today second point second reality from god is you're not rejected from the promise you're not rejected from the promise because the message of the gospel once entrusted with the nation of israel has gone to the entire world romans chapter 11 verse 11. I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Because of Israel's rejection, listen to this, because of Israel's temporary rejection, the entire world now becomes recipients of the good news of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur, he says it this way. First, God's temporary setting Israel aside was not an afterthought or an outburst of emotional anger, but had a definite purpose. Israel's temporary loss is the Gentiles' permanent gain. By their transgressions, salvation was made known throughout the world through the church. This was by God's divine plan. In the book of Acts, we see how God uses the church. The church is born on the day of Pentecost when 120 scared Jewish followers of Jesus became Christians in a church. When the Holy Spirit came down and filled them and baptized them and moved them uh, into being the church, the church was born. 120, it became thousands upon thousands and as they grew in numbers, they were persecuted and they were scattered throughout the known world. It was called the diaspora. They were scattered throughout the known world. And I would imagine uh, the Jewish people, the nation, the remnants of the nation of Israel in Jerusalem were like, we got them. They're scattering like little rats all around the world. But as the Christians scattered, they planted church, and churches popped up in cities throughout the world and throughout the streets throughout the world, and the church continued to grow thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands. Within the first 200 years, there were over one million followers of Jesus Christ. You see, you could barely be jealous when they're like, why would we be jealous of them? We just made them scatter like the vermin they are. But 200 years later, they realized there's over a million of them. And this is the jealousy that Paul's talking about. He did this as an act of mercy to make Israel jealous. Now, when you think of the word jealous, you often think of a very negative, uh, self-serving jealousy. Oh, man, they got the new car. I want that new car. You know, right? No, it's not that at all, right? It is a righteous jealousy. You see, the nation of Israel knew they were God's chosen nation and chosen people. And when they see God temporarily bypass them, it ought to evoke emotion of, wait a minute here. What is going on? I I, I don't understand. You see, here's the deal. Church, we have a huge responsibility. You see, the early church could have easily Easily said, you know what? We're scared of the persecution. We're scared of what they can do to us. Well, uh, You know, we know God. You know God? Yeah, I know God. All right, well, guess what? Let's just worship God, lock those doors, because guess what? The 120 before the Holy Spirit came, they had the doors locked. They weren't interested in going in the streets. They could have easily just hunkered down and became a holy huddle. A holy huddle until Jesus came back. But listen, church... Instead of being a holy huddle, the Holy Spirit came, they unlocked those doors and they went out in the streets when they were persecuted, they kept on going and as a result, people reached people who reached people who reached people who eventually reached you. You have been reached today because the first Christians went outside in the streets and gave their lives and were willing to lose their jobs and their family and go to whole countries that were foreign to them. And may we never as a church hunker down May we never as a church remember that yes, we are to worship Jesus Christ. Yes, we're to encourage one another. But we have a mission. And this is where we, most people forget. This is where I forget. It's the hardest thing. Is that we are on mission. We've been commissioned to be on mission to be his ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the world, and yes, most importantly, because it's our commission locally, Kenosha. We've been commissioned to know God and to reach. Church, it's all about Jesus. Our focus is the cross. And our mission is to reach this world and reach this city. And, it's, and on a micro level, that means your neighbors. It means your baristas. It means anybody and everybody that God providentially puts you in their life. Lovingly, relationally, relentlessly. Amen, church? May we never forget that. The reason why people keep on talking and they diss the American church. Listen, I don't want to diss the American church because God's doing something in the American church, all right? We just know that when you're, when you're around your kingsmen or when you're around your people or your nation or whatever you want to call it, right? We, we can so easily see the flaws. And then we look at the greener grass in maybe another country, how God's doing something. Listen, God's doing something where whenever someone's available for God to do something. Does that make sense? And so what I want to tell you this church is this is that it's so easy to get comfortable and complacent and to be consumers. But God is raising up a generation of contributors, and contributors is this, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message has gone out in the entire world, and and you have not been rejected from the promise. You have been grafted into this promise. We also see the message that was rejected by the chosen offers reconciliation to the entire world, Romans eleven. Uh, verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. That's Gentiles, by the way, is a word for unbel- the unbelieving world. Uh, Gentiles in this context are people that place their faith and trust in Jesus that did not have Jewish origin. So I'm speaking to you Gentiles. As so far, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. For if, the reconciliation brings, if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean to life from dead again as i mentioned in the first 200 years there's a million but today christianity is growing at the quickest rate it ever has in the third world yes it's slowing in america yes it's dipping and i want you to know that if we just stand up and say i'm willing to be ambassadors for the gospel that can change did you know that god doesn't have to bypass the united states of america or the west god doesn't have to bypass he'll just bypass it to do his will if we're unwilling to do it But the thing is, it's growing at the quickest rate in history, even though it's not growing the quickest rate here in the United States. Right now, there are over 2.3 billion that would say they're Christian, but I would say a more reliable number is 386 million people who would claim Christ as their Savior alone and believe in the Bible. That's a good indication that they have a real saving faith. So again, numbers are numbers, but 386 million of what we call evangelicals today. But here's the idea. Is what God's chosen people tried to stop through persecution. They could not stop, and they would become jealous. And I'll talk about good jealousy for a second. Uh, Again, I talked about that there's a righteous jealousy. Let's just use this illustration. Um, Years ago, I was married in this room, all right? I was married not on this stage, but there's a stage underneath this stage, all right? And so, and let's just pretend for a second, and when, when, uh, when, when, uh, the, the pastor said, uh, you, you know, I do, I do, you know, may kiss your bride, okay, we kiss. And then it said, okay, I present to you for the first time Mr. and Mrs. McGowan, or Mr. and Mrs. McGowan right? Right, yeah, we all right? And then you walk up the aisle. Well, what if in that moment, one of my ushers just came and started ushering my wife up the aisle? I wouldn't be okay with that. Now, again, you know, there's this, no, I'm an usher, I'm an usher. No, 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 I would be rightfully jealous. That's my wife, right? And that's what God is saying. God is saying that I want to evoke jealousy from the nation that continues to reject and reject and reject and reject God. Is that they are rightfully the people of God. I want their hearts to have a hint of righteous jealousy that, hey, wait a minute, all these blessings that we're seeing God do, wait a minute, that salvation, that gospel, that Jesus, we want that. And that's precisely what will happen when the fullness of the Gentiles come. So, again, it is not that Israel's been rejected. That's perception. Your perception is not always God's reality. The reality is that we are part of this plan. You're not rejected. They are not rejected. We are part of his plan. Number three, the third reality is, is you're not exempt, though. Listen, some people are like, sweet, Israel's out of the way. We're the chosen people, right? And this is the problem is sometimes we can think, especially if you've grown up in the church world for a long time, somehow we can think that we are, we can just do what we want. I got God, I got Jesus, I went through catechism, I went through all these things, I'm good, I'm good. I'm exempt from God's expectations. I mean, hey, I I said the prayer, right? Hey, that's good. That's good, right? I, you know, I, I place my faith in Jesus. I asked him into my heart. I, I'm good. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'll see you. I'm gonna go bar hopping on Friday. And then I'm gonna, you know, just, uh, I'm gonna go, you know, embezzle from work the next day. And then, you know, I'm gonna go punch some people out on Tuesday. You know, there's no change in me, but I got Jesus. Jesus is not an insurance policy to cash in when you're in trouble. Jesus is a relationship to enjoy and grow deeper in every single day of your life. Now, listen, it's not by works that you can boast. But if you place faith and trust in Jesus, your life is inevitably going to show fruit. It's inevitably going to show that I believe in which I stand on. Listen, this stage that's upon another stage, if I didn't think it was going to hold me up, I wouldn't be standing here today. But I have faith this stage is gonna hold up. Guess what? The fruit of my belief is being demonstrated by me standing on this stage. If you're treating Jesus as an insurance policy, maybe you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. I can't judge that. But what I wanna tell you is, you're in danger of having false assurance. Does that make sense? We are not exempt from God's expectation. You may think uh, that's, the worst thing is to have that perception that you do. Reason being is this, there's no boasting. Israel boasted that they had the right last name. We can boast that, well, we have our Bible and I've been going to this church for four generations. That doesn't impress God. Romans 11, verse 17. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, speaking of Israel, and you, though a wild olive branch, speaking to the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you're better than those branches. But if you do boast... You do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you, right? Then you'll say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Right? If God was willing to cut out those temporarily of whom he called his chosen people, how much more will he be willing to cut anyone now that says that they're gonna do it their own way? Listen, here's the deal. I believe that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, nothing can pluck you from his hand. Okay, I believe that. But here's the deal. Two things, if you're gonna do it, I've seen people do this. Like, yeah, hey, filled out the decision card and now I'm gonna do whatever I want. It's like, uh, okay, you probably didn't. Maybe uh, let's talk about what decision you made, or it could be uh, okay, they place they, they're, they're, you're like the thief on the cross. You know the thief on the cross is? If you're new to church here, check this out. The thief on the cross was a criminal that was being crucified next to Jesus, and he hurled a bunch of insults at Jesus. And then, when he got close to death, he's like, Uh oh, I think I'm gonna die, and I don't wanna go to hell, right? Uh, he's like, So he turns to Jesus, like, Hey, remember me in paradise. He just threw up a just prayer. Remember me in paradise, and Jesus saw the faith in his heart. He said, "You will see today. You will see me in paradise. Today, you'll see me in paradise." That's amazing. Uh, that, that shows the grace of God. When you think of the different things in your life, like oh man, this disqualifies me. Listen, the grace of God is able to cover the deepest things in your past and your present. But what I want to tell you is this: if you want to live your life however you want to live, I would just say this. Have you really believed? Secondly, do you wanna have a thief on the cross relationship? Do you wanna have a relationship that's so devoid of the blessing of growth in Jesus Christ and being used by him? That's my question to you today. You know, people have this debate. Is it once saved, always saved? Or can you lose your salvation? All I gotta know is that scripture says, you better better walk in fear and trembling with your faith. Right? There's gonna be a lot of people that think they're saved and they're saying, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did these different things in my name, in your name. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I think it's the most frightening verse in Scripture. And as people are debating, or once saved, always saved, or lose or so, or, I'm like, guys, there's going to be false converts. We got to make certain our faith is of quality, uh, that we actually know what we are standing on and believe. If your faith today is in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, if your faith is anything else but Jesus Christ, you are standing on a faulty foundation, a foundation of sinking sand, scripture says. So, what's it mean to be cut out? It ain't good. It means that you're malnourished at the very best and at the very worst, it means you never knew him. And we can fall into this trap, as Israel did, by becoming religious. Look at verse 20. Arrogant, proud. We are the church, the heralds of the gospel. We're the church that we know our doctor. We are the church, we pray these and thou's. We're a church. Now you can pray these and thou's, that's fine. My grandpa did it, he's great. But anyway, he was great. But, but you, you understand what I'm saying. To become arrogant is, I know these things. I have different traditions. I think my way is better. And you become this pompous Christian. God doesn't need your pomp and circumstance. He needs our humility to see the glory of God. But don't be fooled by religious pride. It often uses high and lofty words. It are often consumed with going that next level to lord it over other people so they control others with their pride. Don't fall for it. When you grow in Christ, when you become sensitive to the voice of God, when you grow in your giftings, it doesn't make you more prideful. It doesn't make you someone that people want to run from. It humbles you. It leads you to treat people with gentleness, yet with the boldness of the things of God expressed in love. Don't miss that. Today, people have become proud because some of us, it's cultural. They're a third-generation Christian. My great-grandma, you know, Built this church. I'm. I'm just saying. I'm not here. I don't know anybody here that does that. I don't think that if your great grandma helped build this church, thank you. All right, but, uh, but you get what I'm saying. Like somehow you think that your lineage, you can find pride there. You can find pride. You can find pride in your works. I've read the Bible 35 times. I memorized every four Gospels. Okay, great. But if it doesn't mean anything in your life, then it could just be pride. Some of you are reading Christian books, and it's seven steps to. Get rid of waste or seven steps to be more joyful or seven steps like, look at me, I'm so joyful. What are you, right? Okay, you, you missed something there, right? So many Christian books. So maybe it's about your experiences. Oh, I, I dreamt last night. what did you dream? I went to heaven and I went before the throne of God and we hung out for 30 minutes. Have you ever done that? No, <laughs> right? I love how Paul treated. Paul actually went up to heaven, but he didn't even name himself. He says, I knew a guy that went to heaven And saw things that he can't even express. Man, we should have Paul's attitude, not an attitude of, I just know so much about God. Listen, here's the deal. That's what Israel did. And we must avoid that arrogance. Because when we are, we lose our first love. And he removes branches and he could literally bypass generations of our family. Know this. The way that we live now and how we react now will reverberate for generations to come. There's no boasting. There's no boasting. Because God's a God of justice and mercy. Romans 11, verse 22. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in. Verse 28. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are love because of the patriarchs, since God's gracious gifts are calling, uh, uh, and callings are irrevocable. Don't miss what I just read. Even though Israel has been temporarily cut off, the promise is irrevocable because God is kind. Now, often we talk about God's kindness at the expense of not talking about God's severity. When you fall, when you mess up in life, it's not that God forsakes you. He's willing to pick you up. But the responsibility is this. You got to take his hand. I remember one of my good friends, after the our prayer group, I got a call. Uh, we were in the back of a Hardy's. We were t- we were taking the whole restaurant. It would become this gigantic prayer group. Started with one, and it, and it joined into this gigantic weekly prayer meeting. And I got this phone call uh, from a Hardee's, a Hardee's employee. He gave me the, their cordless phone. Um, and I'm like, what in the world? We, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Again, you know, dating me, all right? So and I'm like, I'm getting phone calls at Hardy's now? I mean, man, this is pretty big. And so I took the phone. I said, hello. And it was one of the girls that was typically at our, uh, at our prayer meeting and she said, my dad has been killed. My dad has been killed. My Bible college roommate who didn't know Christ yet or who just had come to Christ but hadn't come to the prayer group yet, follow me here, he was at the scene of the accident. He saw it happen. He saw this girl who was usually at our big prayer group, uh, he, he saw her dad die. He was delivering newspapers on the road. And the car that hit him was in flames. Two young men in this car. And he went up to the car, opened up the door. He's like, come here, come on, come on, come on. But they were dazed. He reached for the hand and they wouldn't grab it. And finally, he went in and rescued them whom they could not rescue themselves. Here's the deal. What I want you to know is this. When God's trying to rescue you, I just said that you have to grab his hand. But know this, God's doing way more in the rescuing than what you could do. You just gotta hold on when he grabs you out of the burning car. You get what I'm saying? When you fall, God wants to pick you up. But in Romans chapter one, he talks about a very dangerous situation where people refuse to be picked up by God and their hearts become hardened. And three times in Romans chapter one, he talks about God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. That's what he did to Israel. That's what he could do to you and I if we reject the ways of the Lord. And so we need to know this. Israel has an explicit promise for them, but they did not remain the recipients, generations, because of their unbelief. But God's promise will still not be stopped. We saw this promise come alive in 1948, and we'll see it come alive as the actual nation begins to populate with Christians towards the end times. Perception is not always God's reality. We need to remember that. God is a God of justice and mercy. And if you find yourself far from God today, I want you to know if you can hear my voice, God's voice is even stronger than my voice. Let him open up your heart and receive his forgiveness and healing this morning. You see, the reason why many people reject God is they feel they're they're so inadequate before God. And listen, the reality is, we are inadequate without God. But with God, we have the riches of the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to land today, number four. Here's God's reality. You are not poor because you are rich in Christ. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that he should be repaid, For from him and through him and to him are all all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul walks through this whole argument that God has not rejected Israel. And as a result, he keeps his promises. And as a result of keeping his promises to Israel, we can know he's gonna keep his promises to you. So whether you feel alone, You feel rejected. You feel like there's no way that God could could step into your life. You feel like the the, the things that are disqualifying you from God, these are just your perceptions because his promises are the reality he wants you to take in. Your perception is not necessarily his reality. It's often not his reality because our natural selves are bent away from the things of God. That is why God goes before us. That's why Jesus Christ goes before us and he has his hand out and says, will you follow? will you follow he knows what's going on in your family your friends your job your future he knows what's stressing you out but he has a way bigger picture than we could ever have what this means is this the purpose of your life is to enjoy God to make much of God to live on the mission of God to live in the fullness of God too many people this morning are living in defeat Too many people this morning have have traded in the promises of God for the bitterness of this world. And God wants to give you a new start. God wants to renew your fervor and your passion. And for some of you today, God wants you to begin that relationship with Him right now. That forgiveness of sin. Those things holding you down. Those things separating you from Almighty God. Because you are not poor if you're in Jesus Christ. When you are in Jesus Christ, when you feel weak, you are strong. When you are poor, you are rich. Because our Lord God Almighty, He is able to change the impossible. So here's our conclusions today. Take a picture of this and marinate on this throughout the week. How can you remember that you are not alone? How do you need to preach the gospel to yourself? You see, I tell you, we need to preach the gospel to others, tell people about others, about about Jesus. But how do you need to remember the gospel to yourself? Number three, where is the religious pride in your life? We all have it. Where are you holding back worship through praise towards Jesus? What are you praising more than than Jesus is another way to put it. Take a picture of that, marinate on that, spend time with God in those. Let's pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now if you don't know Jesus to give your life to Jesus. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to be filled afresh in his spirit so that you can be enabled to live a life in accordance to his will you are not to live this life feeling defeated you are victorious in jesus christ to do all what god is calling you to do and he's calling you to be his ambassador to lovingly relationally and relentlessly share his face so father i love you we love you and we thank you that you haven't rejected israel's promise so therefore you're not going to reject your promise to us thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your grace As we continue to pray right now, if there's anybody in this room, if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're trusting in anything else but Jesus, that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the dead, if you're placing your faith and trust in anything else but Jesus, today Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to realize that he's made you. You're not a mistake. He's calling you to understand that you're separated from him. Your sins, the wrong that you've committed, has separated you from Almighty God. But he's calling you to receive forgiveness that's only found in him. Because he came to bridge the gap that's between us and God. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to the cross 2,000 years ago to stand in our place, dying on the cross, paying for every single one of our sins. And because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he rose from the dead, giving us victory. All you have to do is place your faith and trust in him right now. Oh, I gotta prove myself, I gotta do all this. No, 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 no works. For by grace are you saved through faith, not by works so that no one may boast. Just say, Jesus, I receive you right now. I place my faith and trust in you right now. If that's you, with every head's bowed and eye's closed on the count of three, we you just let me know? I'm gonna pray for you this week. So raise your hand up high in the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand up high and say, yeah, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Father, we love you and we thank you, God. We thank you for what you're doing in lives in this room. We just pray with me. In fact, it's all the church. churches pray together, this prayer doesn't save you. I'm just hoping you talk to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong realize without you, I am lost and I'm separated from you. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you that you died on the cross, standing in my place to forgive my sins. I thank you that you rose from the dead. I'm responding to you right now by placing my full faith and trust in you alone to forgive my sins, to be my God. As we continue to pray, I just want to just pray over this whole congregation that you would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that you would not live life in complacency or being comfortable, that you live life in the boldness to lovingly, relationally, relentlessly reach people with Jesus, that you be bold in every area of Scripture, that you would trust God to live a life that is not consumeristic, but one that contributes to his kingdom with your whole selves. Let him just reveal where you're holding back. So Father, I just pray for this whole church right now. We pray for your spirit to fill us afresh. Holy Spirit, will you come in a way to where we're aware of your empowerment, that we would yield to your empowerment now? that we yield to your ways and not our own strength, but your strength. May we be sensitive to your leading. Fill us afresh. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.